Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining Law Matters. I want to say happy birthday to Deputy Chuk. If you want to have fireworks and barbecue every year on your birthday, you have to be born on the 4th of July. Enjoy your day, Steve. On the phone, we have Mike Vigil, former DEA Chief of International Operations, and we also have retired Marine Corps Intelligence Officer, Lieutenant Colonel Hal Kempfer, who's going to help clear up a statement that was made last week. It's a little confusing. So, Hal, can you help us out here? Absolutely. Good morning, Sherry. How you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, the statement was that uh, uh, under Title 32, um, that basically, uh, and it's, a, it's under federal law, it's basically it's uh, when guard troops are being federally funded, but they're under governor's control. That is kind of true, but it wasn't quite as clear as, as obviously what the general, uh, the former adjutant general uh, had stated was that, uh, you know, that they can just do anything under Title 32. Actually, there's some strict prohibitions about how long they can do certain types of missions uh, under Title 32. Uh, and whereas they can do things like immediate response, they're supposed to get them off of that and put them into state active duty as, as soon as possible. And I just wanted to clarify that that point um, because it is federal funding. They're not in a federal status per se, but they're being funded to do federal training, and that's for National Guard troops. And uh, that's been going back and forth over the years. A lot of times there are, and I will say this, and I used to train uh, National Guard around the country, there is the impression that they have as much freedom to do things under Title 32 as they have under uh, – uh, state active duty and uh, of course they they like that because they, the state doesn't have to pay for it under title 32 the reality is there are some prohibitions on that although uh, there have been some in more recent years uh, some legal opinion that has moderated that a little bit given them a little bit more freedom but they do want to get them off of federal status so i just want to make that very clear well thanks i appreciate that and as long as you're on the phone What's up with Russia using anti-ship missiles against ground targets? Yeah, they're using uh, KH-22s. Uh, those missiles were designed in the 1950s to carry nuclear or thermonuclear warheads to use against carriers and carrier task forces. That's how long back those go. The Russians, that if you saw the attack that took place uh, near Odessa yesterday, where they took out the apartment block, yeah. these are the... These are the missiles that they're using. They're shooting them from bomb. They're they're firing them from bombers. They're they're long range, but they're highly inaccurate. So uh, that's why you're seeing this tremendous collateral damage, as they would say. I don't know if you say collateral damage. I don't even know if they're aiming at anything that has a military value. I think they're just aiming at cities. And uh, but the but the fact that they're having to go back into the inventory to use these ancient anti ship missiles. Uh, to shoot ground targets kind of tells you a lot about where the Russians are in terms of what weapons they have left in inventory. Um, they're they're simply running out of missiles, and right now they're just they're just going into the literally it's like they're going into the back of the shed and pulling this stuff out and say, does that still work? And uh, and using it. So uh, it's the sad part is that when they do this, they're so inaccurate that you know they fire them into a city. You know, a lot of civilians die is yeah. what happens, and it's just horrific. So, yeah. Yeah, there, there's no conscience over there. A lot of people are going to hell, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, 
Well, I appreciate you coming on and, and straightening that out. I did get a few emails going, huh? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. I'm not the authority. Well, he he kind of made it. He kind of made it very. It, the way he described it, it seemed like, well, we just do it under Title 32. It's like he was describing state active duty, which is when you use state funds to pay for uh, National Guard to do things. Um, Posse comitatus, uh, the law that prohibits federal military troops from doing law enforcement. That has always gone back and forth on that, and I can tell you that um, there's a there's a reluctance to use Title 32 for that. You cannot use Title 10 federal federalized troops for that at all because that is a violation of the law. Um, but he kind of made it sound like you could just do Title 32, and and this is the thing. I don't know if they've been doing that. Wouldn't be the first state that is occasionally um, let's just say taking a rather broad view of what they can do with that status, but they're not supposed to use it the way he described. It was just, he kind of made it sound like he could just do Title 32 and do anything. It's not quite that lenient. Not that simple. Um, is, it's not quite that simple. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate you coming on and, and letting us know what's going on. And do okay, you know, well, do, you, you, do you know Mike Behill? Uh, no, 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 I don't know him. I know of him. I'm sure we have a lot of friends in common. I, uh, I spent a few years, uh, in the Marine Corps assigned to, uh, undercover drug task forces and, uh, worked closely with DEA, worked a little bit with them down in Latin America as well. Yeah. And, then you uh, probably, but, probably cross paths at least someplace. In some way, shape or form probably yeah, did. No yeah. doubt. Yeah. Well, thank you. And well, Michael. Thank you, Sherry. You be good. Have a good weekend. Have a good holiday. Okay, you too. Happy 4th. You too. Bye-bye. Mike? Hey, Sherry. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, good. Enjoying the uh, the weather. It's cool here in New Mexico. Oh, yeah. It was raining and kind of cooled everything down to the 70s. So that's been enjoyable <laughs> compared well, to the 110. It stays that way for at least a few days, right? Yeah, it would be great especially for the nice weekend. <laughs> so let, let's let's talk about the drug situation. I, You know, sure. when the, this Roe versus Wade thing first happened, my first thought was, well, that'll give the cartels another, you know, morning after pill to produce and, and sell to people. What What's going on with the cartels in Mexico? Well, let me say this about Roe versus Wade. And I am so livid that the Supreme Court, you know, abolished Roe versus Wade, despite the fact that Americans wanted Roe versus Wade to stand as it is. And the hypocrisy of this whole situation with the people that are against Roe versus Wade, that overturn Roe versus Wade, is appalling and it seems sherry like these individuals uh only care about uh you know the these uh 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 kids when they're in utero when they're in utero right but for example once they're born they could care less if the father goes AWOL they could care less if if uh you know uh you know they they don't they don't uh, provide any support to the mothers who have to 
bear the uh, children now forced by the uh, the uh, abolishment of Roe versus Wade. And the thing is that, you know, here we don't even have enough formula to feed these infants. And then apart from that, you know, they certainly don't care if they have to go to school facing the risk of being uh, shot or injured. It's just sheer hypocrisy. But anyway, in terms of uh, Mexico, the, the Mexican cartels have increased their power. And one of the main reasons for that being is that the current president of Mexico, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, or AMLO as he's known, has a policy or he adopted a policy of abrazos y no balazos, which means hugs and not gunshots. And that policy basically is a non-confrontational policy against organized crime in Mexico, which has allowed the cartels to operate with almost sheer impunity. And I've seen videos of uh, cartel caravans involving up to 25 uh, vehicles driving by uh, cadres of Mexican soldiers, and they just drive by, you know, like, you know, it was nothing. And right now, you know, the, the cartels have extended their power and control over many, many states in Mexico, uh, the the uh, the killings in Mexico uh, now average about thirty six thousand uh, thirty six thousand per year, and that translates to about twenty six uh, homicides per one hundred thousand people, which is which is quite high. And then in the rural areas, you have priests that have had to step into the realm of security trying to negotiate between the cartels and their parishioners, trying to, you know, uh, um, basically uh, secure the safety of parishioners. And that's not their job. There was a a recent uh, uh, tragedy in the state of Chihuahua where this uh, cartel leader followed an individual that he had kidnapped and had gotten away, ran into the to the uh, church. Cartel leader follows him in there, shoots him in the church, kills, kills the individual, and then kills two uh, Jesuit priests that were trying to protect uh, the individual from, from any harm. So this is what's going on in Mexico. And Lopez Obrador has taken a stand on many things that uh, significantly impact, in a very negative way, the the uh, bilateral relationship between Mexico and the United States in terms of counter narcotic uh, activities. For example, in October of 2020. Um, the ex-minister of defense, an, an individual by the name of Salvador Cienfuentes, um, Cienfuegos, I'm sorry, was arrested on drug tra- uh, charges 
And then the Mexican government immediately petitioned for his return to Mexico. And the ex uh, um, attorney general, Bill Barr, acquiesced, which was unheard of. I've never seen anything like that ever in my life. So they turn him back to Mexico. Mexico says they're going to do an investigation on Cienfuegos, which they don't do after two months, which is, you know, no time at all. You know, they say that he's innocent and they protect him. And then immediately the Mexican president says that the DEA fabricated the evidence against Cienfuegos, which is a lie. But using that as a pretense, he goes to the Mexican Congress and they pass legislation that not only impacts on DEA, but every U.S. federal agency that has a presence in Mexico to include Homeland Security, to include the FBI. And the limitations are these. One, that uh, the law enforcement agencies, U.S. law enforcement agencies, uh, can only pass information to Mexico's security forces. That's all they can do. Well, that'll go nowhere. That's a a big problem, Sherry, because, number one, you just can't pass information in Mexico because of endemic corruption and the fact that they compromise a lot of this information. So, number one, by passing them wholesale uh, information, you're endangering informants, investigations, operations, and then even U.S. agents. So that that's, you know, that's a no-no. Secondly, they force Mexican uh, agencies to write a report every time they have contact with a U.S. agency. So who's going to take your call if they have to write a report every time that there's contact or communication so that will have a major impact in terms of tactical operations. Let's say, for example, you have an aircraft coming from uh, Colombia laden with cocaine, and you can't get a hold of anybody. That plane is safely going to land on Mexican territory and undoubtedly find its way into the United States. Thirdly, they have taken away all diplomatic immunity from U.S. agencies. And that is a problem because when you're working in a highly volatile, very violent, very dangerous area and you have no diplomatic immunity, that uh, really hinders your ability to um, you know, work in that type of environment. And then he's done a lot of other things because, Sherry, you'll remember... In 2007, under the administration of Felipe Calderón, um, the U.S. negotiated uh, Plan Merida, which was a uh, a security uh, agreement. It was eventually passed in 2008. And what it did is it provided uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in terms of support, training uh, Mexico security forces, providing them helicopters, aircraft, 
uh, you know, eventually uh, trying to revamp their judicial system. Uh, a lot of things that Mexico really needed. So under Lopez Obrador, he did away with that. And I strongly suspect that he did away with it because it came out, you know, it was under Felipe Calderon. And you'll recall that he lost the election to Felipe Calderon. Um, and uh, he hates Felipe Calderon. So, you know, you know, he's trying to take a giant eraser and do away with anything that came into existence under uh, his administration. The other thing that he's done is he did away with a sensitive investigative unit, and we have those uh, in many parts of the world. And there are units of uh, counterpart uh, uh, agents, and we send them to Quantico. They receive a five-week training. They undergo polygraph examinations, background investigations, and it's a conduit to pass ultra-sensitive information and then allow them to take action. But the fallacy or the, fall, the, 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 the detriment to that is that in Mexico, they've never allowed people in the chain of command above those sensitive investigative units to be uh, vetted. So once it gets to the upper levels, it can be compromised, and that's basically what happened with one individual who has been uh, since uh, brought to the United States. He's been prosecuted. He's been found guilty. But, you know, immediately Lopez Obrador did away with that program, which now limits, uh, again, the passing of information to Mexican counterparts. And then recently, we had an aircraft, the King Air uh, twin-engine aircraft that was based in Toluca, just south of Mexico City, and they took away our ability to have that aircraft located there, which was essential not only for DEA, but for Mexican counterparts, and it provided quick transport throughout the country, and that is really key at this point in time because the cartels established roadblocks in many states and it would allow for the safety of counterparts in in the DEA so that is out and instead of uh, plan uh, many of them what they've done is they met with uh, Anthony Blinken the Secretary of uh, State and they passed what they call the U.S.-Mexico Bicentennial uh, um, Security Agreement. But the overarching objectives of that security agreement deal with uh, uh, curbing violence and then also uh, weapons trafficking. So where is that going to go? You know, if you have a non-confrontational policy in Mexico, how are you going to curb violence? Right. And then here in the United States, if you, if uh, the the country is obsessed with weapons, and then you have a Congress that doesn't want to control weapons, 
you're going to have a continual river of iron weapons flowing into Mexico. 70% of the weapons that are available in Mexico come from the United States, and most of those find themselves into the hands of the cartels. Keep in mind that Mexico only has one gun store, and that is on a military base. It's controlled by the Mexican army, and people that buy weapons have to go through, you know, tremendous scrutiny. They only sell, uh, you know, not very many weapons. So uh, that security agreement uh, has uh, tremendous flaws to it. Wow. <laughs> I just can't believe Mexico is, in my head, I'm thinking, deteriorated to this point. Because I used to go down to Mexico all the time, but I... I don't even go over the border to go shopping at the bakery anymore. It's just, <laughs> it's just insane. And well, it's 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 probably going to get worse. And and yes. when you take a look at the uh, cartels and the evolution of the cartels, back in the uh, 1980s, Sherry, there was only one cartel in Mexico, and that was the Jalisco. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, that was the Guadalajara cartel. And they only trafficked in uh, cocaine, marijuana, you know, a little bit of uh, heroin. And now you have between 150 to 200 organized crime groups operating on Mexican soil. The two most powerful cartels is one, the Sinaloa Cartel, that was headed by Chapo Guzman. It's now headed by... Somebody that is much more astute, much more intelligent, much more cunning, and that is Ismael Mayo Zambada. What happened to his kid? I thought his son took over. No, the Chapitos, as they're known, he has several sons, but the the, the primary ones are Jesus Alfredo, Ovidio, Ivan Archivaldo, and then Joaquin Guzman Jr., and they have, uh, they want to take over the Sinaloa cartel, Sherry, um, as quickly as possible, but they can't do it as long as Mayo Zambada is in charge. Because Mayo Zambada is the equivalent of Carlo Gambino of Italian organized crime. Okay. And you'll recall his legend is that he never spent one minute inside a jail cell. And that is Ismael Mayo Zambada. He's the oldest drug capo that currently exists in Mexico. So he has tremendous respect. But Mayo Zambada is in at least his mid-70s, and he is a diabetic he stays up in the mountains, so he has limited access to health care. And the Chapitos know that if they don't take control of the cartel and Mayo Zambada dies away, probably of natural causes, uh, that there's going to be fragmentation that takes place within that cartel, and then it's going to be much more difficult for them to take the reins of that super powerful cartel. So that is, you know, what they're finding. There's some infighting that's going on. 
And what makes the, the cartel very powerful is that most cartels have a pyramid-like structure. The Sinaloa cartel has a horizontal structure, and they function very much like McDonald's, in, and they operate in six of the seven continents. They don't operate in Antarctica because Antarctica uh, is so desolate and uh, nobody lives there. Nobody, yeah, they nothing to do there. there. Well, you know, <laughs> unless you're going to sell to polar bears. But um, so that makes them much more resilient. But here's the, here's the thing is that the cartels right now are not only dealing drugs, but, you know, they're also into the avocado industry, as we've discussed in the past. That's a $3 billion a year industry for Mexico, who is the biggest producer of avocados in the world. They're also the biggest producers of lime and lemons in the world. So the cartels are involved in that. They're involved in the theft of lumber, which is a multi-million dollar uh, industry. They're also involved because Mexico has about seven refineries for petroleum, that's uh, Pemex or Petroleos Mexicanos, throughout the country, and they tap into the pipelines and they steal an average of $1 billion in fuel. Now, not everybody uses drugs, but everybody uses fuel, so it's a big moneymaker for the cartels. And then you look at Sinaloa, now they're involved in every facet of the fishing industry, from controlling the, the fishermen to the uh, the factories where they process the fish, uh, transportation, distribution. So, you know, and they're also involved in illegal a uh, alien smuggling. They're also involved in um, uh, extortion, murder for hire, so they have a very wide-ranging portfolio of criminal activity. And then the other thing, too, that you should, your listeners should keep in mind is that they are starting to move slowly away from plant-based drugs like uh, uh, opium poppies, marijuana, into synthetic drugs. Yeah. Why? because it's a big moneymaker for them. They, they can easily get the precursor chemicals from China. They bring it in into Mexico. And that is one of the reasons that there's a lot of infighting in areas like Michoacan, where you have Lazaro Cardenas, you have the Port of Veracruz, and they fight for control of those because that's where, how they bring in their precursor chemicals, usually is through... Um, these containerized cargo ships. And, you know, people talk about, oh, the super labs in, in Mexico. Well, people that say that have no clue of, of uh, what they're talking about. Because when they say labs, you know, you, you always look at, like, the labs that you would find in a pharmaceutical environment, Bunsen burners, you know, the right. cultures, you know, you have the, the uh, beakers and all that. Uh, that's not true. In Mexico, they have tubs, metal tubs, or they cut 
these 55-gallon metal barrels, and then they mix the uh, chemicals that are required, which are very simple. And most of those chemicals are mixed with a wooden paddle or with a shovel. And they mix it, you know, you know like like, oh, like they were mixing, the, you know, a southern barbecue someplace. Very simple. Uh, and most of the, these chemists, you know, they have no education or maybe, you know, two or three uh, years of uh, elementary school education. But they teach each other, you know, and people come in and they act as a apprentices. And they learn uh, but, you know, very, very simple tools that are used in, in uh, producing the, uh, the fentanyl and the uh, methamphetamine. Precursor chemicals for uh, methamphetamine are ephedrine, pseudoephedrine, very inexpensive. And then for uh, uh, fentanyl, which is a hugely dangerous drug, uh, the primary uh, ingredient is AMPP. And unfortunately, those get into Mexico uh, like they were going through a leaky sieve because, you know, most of the uh, customs people, military people, security forces don't have training in terms of identifying these uh, precursor chemicals. And then the Chinese will mislabel them to make it look like they're ingredients for cosmetics or what have you to facilitate the importation of these chemicals into Mexico, into the hands of the uh, the cartels. You know, and, I heard I heard that they banned e-cigarettes in Mexico, but they're not banning well, they, all the they, ingredients coming from China to make fentanyl and all these other illegal drugs. What's up with that? Well, the thing is that they they um, uh, outlawed vaping, vaping uh, uh, the use of vaping um, instruments which uh, is uh, a little bit hypocritical because they're not as dangerous, obviously, as what is taking place right now in in, uh, Mexico with the uh, synthetic drugs. And they they fetch a bigger price. They're easy to smuggle because, you know, you don't have the mass quantity that you would have, you know, with cocaine or even uh, marijuana. And here's the other deadly thing that people really need to uh, know, and that's that the cartels are lacing a lot of the drugs with fentanyl, such as cocaine, marijuana, methamphetamine, uh, you know, uh, um, to give it a little bit more of a noomph, if you will. And the addicts here in the United States they think that, you know, they're using cocaine or, you know, methamphetamine or heroin, but they don't know that those drugs of choice have fentanyl, and two milligrams of fentanyl can be lethal to a normal human being, and that is the equivalent of a few grains of salt. Table salt, yeah. Yeah, so last year... During the well, uh, during the twelve uh, month time frame ending this past April, um, we lost over a hundred thousand uh, Americans to drug overdoses, and about sixty three percent of those uh, were as a result of the use of uh, fentanyl. 
Okay, we're going to take a quick break right now, and we'll be back in a few. Stick with us. Thanks for staying with us. Our guest today is Mike Vigil, former DEA Chief of International Operations, and we were just talking about the fact that we have hundreds, thousands of dead people who apparently are using drugs from Mexico that are laced with fentanyl. And you know what? There's so many rehab places and places where you can get help to get off the drugs. There's no excuse. Stop supporting the cartel. Michael. Well, here's here's the uh, the long and short of it is I agree that, you know, it has to be several components, several facets to combating, uh, you know, illegal drug use. One of them, obviously, is law enforcement, but, you know, we can't arrest our way out of that situation. Right. We have to have viable and efficient drug treatment centers. Unfortunately, a lot of these drug treatment uh, facilities, Sherry, what they do is they detoxify the drug addicts, and then they, you know, escort them out the door, and they go back to the same neighborhoods, to the same, same friends that got them addicted in the first place. So a lot of them don't have follow-up, and you need follow-up. Yeah, you do. And, and then we need education. And, you know, this is where, you know, the families, the schools, the churches have to play a role in educating the uh, kids. And one of the things that I would highly recommend is that we have – uh, you know the uh, you know demand reduction type education as part of a school curriculum, so that we can start educating our kids. You know from the time that they enter school, and avoid a lot of these uh, problems, and it w- and it would be cost effective because now you get law enforcement officials that very graciously go to the schools and, and they talk to the kids, but it's usually one time a year, you know, and that's not going to work. It's not, it's not going to have an impact. You have to, you know, drive this mentality into the kids about not using drugs. You know, the fact that it could, you know, cause them huge problems in the future, even cost them their lives. So there's a lot of common sense approaches, but unfortunately, you know, with our politicians and what have you, common sense is no longer common. That's true. That's so true. It's unfortunate. It's kind of backwards. Well, we, we elect we elect politicians anymore, Sherry, and I hate to say it, but very much like we used to elect prom queens in high school. You know, nothing to do with qualifications, nothing to do with the fact that, you know, they would do things for American citizens. Right now, it seems like, you know, they're all driven by their own uh, personal opinions, their own ideology, and that is wreaking havoc here in the United States because it's slowly eroding our democracy, the rights of American citizens, and the only way to stop this is people have to get away from being empathetic. I mean, in, in terms of just being ap- apathetic and not going out to vote, they have to go out there and vote. 
And uh, a lot of these individuals, like Ted Cruz and and others, they do in, insane things, but they know that they're going to get reelected, so they do them. Yeah, and it's, the it's thing, name recognition. Yeah, yeah, and the other thing that I would recommend is term limits to include those for the Supreme Court, you know, term limits, because what we have right now is not a Supreme Court. We have a kangaroo court is what we have. Yeah, it's it's appalling, some of the things that have come out of that court, but that's a whole nother show. <laughs> well, here they, here they are, pro-life, but then, you know, they, they allow permissive gun laws. So, again, I point to the sheer hypocrisy and... Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I was, uh, you know, I always thought, you know, people in the Supreme Court, you know, senators, uh, representatives were, you know, really uh, uh, superior people. And then I come to find out that, you know, the, the exact opposite is true. Yeah, they have, um, you've got two people on there that were accused of sexual, you know, misbehaving and one of them who lied, at least one of them who lied to the Senate to get on the Supreme Court. I'm just like, can't these people be impeached? It's well, I lost they respect. Should, they, Once they, they put should, Thomas well, on there, I lost respect for the Supreme Court. Well, the thing is that, you know, when, when you take a note uh, and you lie, yeah, you should be able to be impeached. But, you know, it's never going to happen. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, Sherry, and I hate to say this also, but there's a two-track system of justice here in the United States. And I'll give you a prime example. You have Chapo Guzman, former head of the Sinaloa Cartel. Yes, he killed t- tens of thousands of people. Yes, he was a criminal. But then you have pharmaceutical companies such as Purdue Pharma with the Sackler family that started the opioid crises in about 1990. So Chapo Guzman shows up in criminal court in shackles, and he is sentenced to life in prison. Then you have the Sackler family that probably killed more people than Chapo Guzman in the Sinaloa cartel. And they show up in civil court in a stretch limo wearing a Giorgio Armani suit, and they pay a a small fine, probably about a penny to every $100 that they made illegally marketing and distributing uh, Oxycontin. So, So that's, you know, you know that says a lot about a double standard uh, about uh, the standards. Yeah, yeah, that's it's unfortunate the way things are going, and we have politicians who act more like gang members than they do political people who are elected to represent the vast majority of the country. Instead of saying, you know, we couldn't come to agreement on something, it's like the left did this, the right did that, and. They're not working together at all to come to any kind of agreement or see what the country needs. They're working for themselves. Absolutely. And, you know, I take a look at Donald Trump and all the issues, the the horrible things, the divisiveness, the division here in the United States, acting like a mob boss, sending these insurrectionists to the Capitol. 
you know, trying to intimidate people to overturn, uh, you know, you know, votes in uh, states, you know, you know, just threatening them, uh, cajoling them. Uh, you know, it, 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 it is uh, absolutely horrible. Why do you and think the there's so many that, politicians that, that cower in front of Trump? I don't get it. Because well, they do. They, they, They're afraid of him. Well, you, the, the reason for that being is that he has a lot of uh, millions of followers that spew conspiracy theories. They believe the big lie, even though the election where Trump lost was probably the most fair election ever run in the history of the United States. And they come up with the most horrific things. I, I, I saw an interview of this lady, that Trump supporter, that said that Trump sent this huge satellite into space, and they were shooting up boats into the satellite, but unfortunately they were coming down as boats for Joe Biden. I mean, this, this Who is, thinks that these are way? the followers. These are the followers that he has. And you can't argue with people like that. No, you because can't. Because I have found that you, you, can, you can't argue with ignorance. And then I see a lot of these uh, state politicians, especially along the border, where they talk about, oh, we're going to build the wall. We're going you know, to finish building. The, that wall serves no purpose. Yeah. It's a monument. It's a monument to ignorance, and you know uh, most most of the drugs going through the legitimate legitimate ports of entry. There's that that two thousand mile border looks like a block of Swiss cheese if you cut it with a giant knife because it's it's a uh, pockmark with uh, tunnels going from Mexico into the United States. Right. And then you can go into Lowe's and buy a reciprocating saw with a diamond grid blade or a Diablo blade and cut through those bollards in minutes. Plus, they use rope ladders and what have you, and they climb over that, that wall uh, very easy. And the thing is that, you know, whatever happened to building bridges instead of walls? You know, this, this is, uh, you know, we've entered into an era of, unfortunately, what I would call insanity. And uh, barriers on the border are not going to solve it. You, gotta, you have to go to the root causes. For example, in the Northern Triangle in Central America, El Salvador, Honduras, in Guatemala, you know, that have been ravaged by natural um, um, devastation, hurricanes, uh, racial inequality, inequality uh, you know, the poverty levels. And, and then we created part of that because uh, in the past we supported a lot of those dictatorships in those countries. And then in the late 1980s, we deported uh, large numbers of MS, um, of, uh, uh, M9, MS-19, um, MS, what is it, MS-16 members? Oh, the gang? Yeah, the gang members to uh, these countries that didn't have the infrastructure to deal with them. So they proliferated, and now, you know, they're, you know, killing people, extorting money from people involved in drug trafficking, uh, wholesale violence. 
And so the United States uh, is not uh, pristine in this uh, issue, but, you know, we have to stop these border theatrics and, you know, get down to the root causes. But it's also a very complex uh, problem because, you know, there's a a lot of uh, corruption. We just uh, indicted the former president of Honduras for drug trafficking and then two gun-related charges. He was brought here to the United States under um, an extradition request, and he has been charged in the Southern District of New York. And uh, so his trial will probably be coming up sometime in January. So I think that the Biden administration is trying to uh, clean house because under Trump, you know, Trump, uh, you know, uh, forged a heavy alliance with uh, Juan Orlando Hernandez, the, 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 the uh, ex-president of Honduras that is currently in jail in New York. And uh, so, you know, we have to stop pandering to criminals in these foreign countries because it only aggravates the situation for the, the hard-working, decent people of those countries. Well, it makes a difference if you're negotiating a deal with a foreign country for the betterment of America or if you're negotiating for yourself. And Well, but with these criminals, uh, what you're doing is you're actually empowering them. And right. That, that, is, that is a problem because then they use it, just like Hernandez now is saying, oh, well, you know, we had a great relationship with Donald Trump. We, we did this. And yeah, you know, he, he uh, uh, Donald Trump didn't care too much about the drugs. All he cared about was people of a different color not coming to the United States. And Hernandez uh, lent himself to that, knowing that he would get uh, many, many political passes from uh, Trump if he did so. Yeah, it's. But that bring, that brings another question: if these people that are so anti-abortion and the rights of uh, babies and what have you that's another thing you know they you know they oppose these small kids coming in uh seeking a better way of life from mexico and central america and you know they they've put them in these uh inhumane uh, uh areas and then that stay in mexico policy that trump uh, implemented and then they they worry about children come on i think anybody who has a baby after this all goes through should send their child support uh request to the supreme court to all the justices who who voted to overturn roe versus wade and see how far they can you absolutely true sherry and and the thing the other thing too that you have to keep in mind is that climate change is very tied to overpopulation, and and uh, you know uh, you know with with this uh, situation uh, with the uh, Supreme Court, you know there's going to be a, a lot of births, yeah. uh, you know uh, probably more greenhouse emissions and what have you, and these the Supreme Court then even look at any of the. Uh, uh, impacts that their decisions are making, and then now they limited the uh, 
the ability of the Environmental Protection Agency to do the right thing and limit greenhouse emissions from a lot of these power plants. So what is it that they're trying to do? Are they trying to destroy the United States little by little? And and probably they, the whole world. They overturn, <laughs> then they overturned the, uh, the, the, the uh, gun law in New York that required people that wanted to carry weapons to, you know, uh, request permission to do so. And so... Yeah. so um, They're going backwards I, instead of forward. Exactly. That's why they should change the name from Supreme Court to Kangaroo Court, which would be much more fitting. Okay. I want to remind everybody to do your due diligence before you vote. If you vote a straight ticket, you may be putting someone into office who doesn't deserve the honor. If you check a candidate's website and all they have is a donation button and their social media is a litany of racist and negative comments, that should be a red flag. We need people who can work for us, defend our Constitution, and not abuse the power of the office for their personal agenda. And this applies to everyone from the county recorder to the president of the country. Again, Law Matters nor I endorse candidates, but we'll leave the door open to give them the opportunity to tell our listeners where they stand on the issues. And if you've got a problem with with drugs and you know or you have a friend or a relative, seek help. And and don't just abandon them after they're they're made clean like Mike was saying. They need follow up. You have to get help because you're playing Russian roulette with your body. Is that true, Michael? Uh absolutely right, Sherry, and thank you for saying that. Because it seems like the uh, GOP uh, is is uh, supporting people with criminal backgrounds that are running for you know that that have to leave uh, you know say a governorship and now want to run for uh, the the uh, the U.S. Senate and you know what is it that we're doing is, is uh, you know criminal background now a requirement to to get into political <laughs> office? Uh, it know, seems it's, like it's it. It seems like it. Huh? You read the news, right? <laughs> Hey, if you don't like what's going on, be part of the solution and apply. The fire department, TPD, the sheriff department, FBI, DEA, the border patrol, they're all hiring. If you don't like what's going on, be part of the solution. And you had a wonderful career with DEA, didn't you, Mike? I did. I, I very much enjoyed it. I was with the uh, the Drug Enforcement Administration from for uh, about 31 years, and I started very young. I think I was about 22 or 23. 30 seconds. But, uh, I, I worked, uh, you know, many uh, parts of the United States, and then I worked about uh, 18 years abroad, uh, 13 years in Mexico. So I had a very interesting career, and I still have a lot of friends uh, all over the world. Okay, and don't buy avocados that were grown in Mexico. I'm just well, asking I, you I, not I go, to do that. I, I go to I go to Taco Bell and just get the regular tacos. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Until next week, shop local, stay safe, and thank you for coming on, Michael.